Have you heard of Raise Them Well? It's our company that we started back when I was pregnant with our second son, Hutch, and we couldn't find the supplements and the trustworthy products that we were really looking for for our own family. And so Wiggy and I decided to create our own and Raise Them Well was born. We provide a lot of different products, including vitamins and supplements for your children, really great magnesium products, prenatal vitamins, and more. So make sure you check out RaiseThemWell.com for all of those offerings, especially if you're looking to clean up your family's products in the new year and maybe just get a little bit crunchy. Hey everybody and welcome to Healthy Discourse. It's Emily and Dr. Wiggy here coming to you live from the oceanfront in Cancun, Mexico on our child-free vacation. So welcome to the show. Welcome everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs> um, so while we've been here, we, well, let's, let me back up. When Wiggy was in medical school and we were very poor, we began taking advantage of a program called Fitness Pro Travel where I would go to these wonderful five-star resorts for a week every year and teach fitness classes. And we did that for a long time and we would always do that as a winter getaway. And we've kept up most years. We've had a few years that we've not been able to have a winter getaway, but We've still prioritized that, and sometimes I still do fitness pro travel, although I'm not doing that this time. We are at the Hyatt Ziva in Cancun, which we would highly recommend because there is beach everywhere. It's on the peninsula, so there's beach all around you. So if you like the ocean, then you should totally come here. Yeah, it's great. And you know, thinking back at our prior vacations, I think the points are goes to the point when where there's a will, there's a way. You know, we definitely couldn't afford to do a yeah. vacation at the time. Uh, but that opportunity that with you teaching there, that really gave us a chance to, to travel and yeah. meet some people and get a, you know, get a getaway. And the question becomes the always, how can it be, right? It's yeah. not, these are the things that we don't have that we need, you know, money to go on the trip in this case. Yeah. Um, and that kind of leads into our topic from today because we've been talking about this a lot. Uh, for those who know us personally know we, our oldest is 10. So we have entered this stage of pre-adolescent slash tween slash preteen. I don't know what the right word is, but our 10 year old is also very mature for his age when it comes to his reasoning and his, um, ability to express his opinions might we say mm -hmm. so i feel like we've had to prepare ourselves for what comes next earlier than maybe we might but i've always been a parent who liked to be three steps ahead when i was pregnant i was listening to things yeah. about toddlers like i just always have liked to i'm not good ever at life when things are sprung upon me so i like to have an opportunity to prepare for what comes next as much as possible so we recently have been diving in a lot into okay we're 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 on the brink of this next phase of parenting and we're clueless besides the fact that we have 
really great wise friends in our lives that have kids ahead of us. But in this episode, we are going to talk about, related to all of this parenting, we're going to talk about three unpopular parenting postures that we practice in our home and that actually when put into practice seem to be very fruitful in the long term not because we are proven because we're not yeah our oldest is 10 but because we've seen and even research shows in a lot of circumstances that while unpopular and unpopular from a cultural standpoint these generally go back to biblical principles and also the long-term outcomes for kids and for families and for marriages seem to be really spot on. Like the proof is in the pudding, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm always a little hesitant to claim any sort of level of expertise with parenting because yeah, we're not we're not there yet, and we we don't really have the outcomes to uh, to claim expertise at this point. But to your point, that I think we are doing some things right, uh, and then I do think that being able to see. The way this impacts the children, mm-hmm. how how they're how they are doing as they as they grow older, and then going back to the biblical principles: is this a biblical principle or not? Because mm-hmm. if we believe that 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 is the that is the truth and that's the best way to raise children, then those two need to tie together. You need to see that there is a a biblical principle to this, and then see it in real world application. Yeah. And I think we're trying to do that, yeah. even though sometimes it's not always black and white. There's some gray area to it as well. Right. And so we're not going to spend a lot of time on each of the principles today, but we're going to share them in, in a couple of thoughts. And we've kind of already alluded to one. First one is that children are not the center of the family, the home, the everything. And what I mean by that is that it's very clear in God's word that the order of importance according to scripture is God first, marriage second, kids Mm -hmm. third. Mm -hmm. And in our culture today, that is completely flipped on its head. And I would argue that number one is generally kids. Number two is maybe maybe spouse and number three is is god because our our priorities have just really flipped on their heads and maybe in some families two and three are switched but we very rarely see that it's even accepted for kids not to have the first place in our families and when i say that that doesn't mean that kids don't matter and that they're not important and that we shouldn't be pouring out constantly to disciple them. That's not what I'm saying at mm-hmm. all. In fact, that should be what most of our parenting is spent doing. But what I am saying is that when they're in first position, we are neglecting the order that God designed. And upon doing so, we're neglecting those two most important relationships Mm -hmm. because first of all nothing should ever come before our relationship with god and yes stepping on toes i mean even being in biblical community so when our kids activities or their desires or whatever start impacting our ability to be engaged in biblical community I'm not saying that for a season in life you might not have to miss church sometime because you're 
child is in a travel sport or whatever. And that's something that each individual discerning person has to figure out. But where, what is the order? How is our family ordered? And then also with, I mean, almost always the kids come before marriage. And I can't tell you how many people say to me, we, I, I don't know when the last time we had a date night is. We're so busy with all the kids stuff and, yeah. and, and work and life. And, and I just can't find a babysitter I trust. And I don't have money for a babysitter. And we just can't afford, you know. And it's, this, it's all these excuses where, like we said at the beginning, we're not asking the how can it be. We're not doing that. Mm. Because the truth is, if it matters to me enough, I will find a way. Sure. And sure. that's that's the truth for every human because that's our nature. If it matters enough, we will find a way. Whether that means that we swap with a friend week by week, we figure out a way to make it happen. We um, we babysit or share. I've given a lot of examples about about this in recent episodes where it can happen, and we have to give up some control. Yes, and you have to let someone else watch your kids. Sure, and it's really good for your kids, and it's extra good for your marriage yeah sorry i just yeah we're getting off track a little bit on (laughs) on our first uh first thing i'm trying to remember my thought process on this with uh, are you rebuking me no i'm just trying to remember what i was going to (laughs) say um as far as keeping or not having kids be the center i think we all we have to look at this as far as what is what is real life Mm. and how are we preparing them for real life Mm. and i think this 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 tide is turning because i think we're seeing you know, this is oftentimes stereotyped of the younger generation. What happens when the kid is at the center and then they grow up and then in the real world, they're not the center anymore, mm-hmm. but they still feel like they should be at the center. Mm-hmm. And so what does that result in? It results in basically entitled kids that are grown up, but they don't know how to deal with not being in the center. And so it really causes a lot of tension. Well, not um, just not being in the center, but not having the life skills to deal with. Sure. All of the things. Because when you're not in the center, or when you are always in the center, you're never growing your skills, which we'll talk about in some of our other principles, to be able to yeah. handle what life throws at you. Well, yeah. I mean, but it's just, again, what's realistic is that you'll, <laughs> the, you, well, you're not going to have the world revolve around you. And I, and that's probably the one of the best ways to try to define for your family what does your family revolve around, what is at the center. So that, that helps you kind of picture it because if if your family and your schedule revolves around kids stuff all the time then they are at the center and what they want to do and or what you want to live vicariously through them you know mm-hmm. there's there's different ways of defining defining that mm-hmm. um, as far as them being in the center versus you know what this what's supposed to be the center and this is hard to to make practical too is that Christ should be at the center and then everything should revolve around that mm-hmm. and that, that that does involve strengthening marriage that does involve you know, raising kids in a in a responsible way, so that's that's where it should be at the center. But again, that, that's probably the look at you if you look at your, your schedule and say, you know, what what does our life revolve around? That's a that's a hard question. And so, you know, one thing that we we definitely try to do is we try not to make it where our schedule is so full with just stuff mm-hmm. that it that it does basically push everything else out to the to the margin or to the peripheral periphery mm-hmm. and then that way that you, you, you automatically that becomes not the center yeah so I think that's that, you know that's probably the best way to think about it from a practical standpoint yeah no that's good um, I had a thought but now I forget but 
I think, well, research shows too mm -hmm. that the most important thing, and this is even in this is this is not um, Christian research. This is not a Christian studying, but um, even um, what's the word I'm looking for? Secular research shows that the best thing that uh, that parents can give to their children for their long-term success is a solid marriage mm -hmm. where yeah. we're not playing sides. We're not, you know, being manipulated. We're not, uh, obviously divorce plays a huge role in that when yeah. you're in two different households and that creates a whole other thing. But that aside, even within the same household, when, when parents have a solid marriage, it seems that kids in the long run do better because sure. there's a mutual respect, there's a, a, a mutual sacrifice, there's figuring out who's best to handle which thing, and, and it's impossible to, to do that from a parenting perspective when you're not right. on the same page, and to be on the same page requires an investment of time. There's no way that you can achieve that otherwise. Yeah, so, I agree. Um, all right, so that's number one. We don't want to take forever today hammering this home, but um, number two is it is a good thing. This kind of goes with number one, but it's a good thing for our kids to feel uncomfortable sometimes, even if we're the ones putting them in the uncomfortable position. Now, I know that we live in a world that when I'm talking about uncomfortable, I'm not talking about unsafe sure. or, you know, that we're throwing our kids the wolves vulnerably and the things that they can't handle, but that we're taking steps on a consistent basis that we're not just constantly stepping in and doing the hard work for them and instead building on their own skills and their own confidence so that they can do hard things. And what I'm talking about is, first of all, um, when an adult comes into your home or even the cashier at the grocery store or whatever, that the child in your presence is speaking to that adult and making eye contact with them and showing them respect. When, when you're talking about a toddler, especially certain personalities, that can be really uncomfortable for them. But you're walking them through that. And that's an early way that they are building on that so that they have the confidence to go and do the thing. So an example of this, um, is, these are little small things, right? When our kids, when we're at a restaurant and they need something, even if it's our four-year-old, you, you have to respectfully ask for it yourself. We're sitting here right here with you. And on a Sundays, our kids, we go to a restaurant called Taco Mama almost every Sunday. And inevitably, they want more chips and we make them, no matter who it is, whatever their age is, walk up and respectfully ask for them themselves. Okay, that's not what they, they would prefer we do it for them. Sure. But that is a really small step in that discomfort that helps them see, oh, I can do this. That wasn't that hard. They were really nice to me. Yeah, well, I think the, the, the small steps depend on the child. Mm -hmm. Sure. So I think a big, big part of this is to study and to understand each kid mm -hmm. you know especially if you if you have more than one child you understand how how different each one of them are and so we're supposed to 
study them and understand their strengths and their weaknesses. So for some kids, you know, talking to an adult is easy. Mm -hmm. uh, for other kids, it's very hard. You know, for some kids, you know, saying something nice to a brother is really hard. Right. It, uh, or for some or kids, other... apologizing to someone and taking responsibility for so, what happened. Right. right. So I think, what we're, you know, what we're trying to emphasize here is that we're trying to emphasize and develop resilience. Mm -hmm. And it's somewhat similar to like a, to a kind of a medical concept is that you have to stress test a weakness in order to make it more resilient, mm -hmm. you know, so that there's, you know, some discussion around like, you know, ice baths and, you know, sauna and you, right. you stress the body, you put it in an uncomfortable position in order for it to get stronger. And mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of value to that because, and that, that does hold true for physiology and for medicine that that does work for making people stronger. And so if our goal is to, you know, raise kids that are strong and resilient, then they need to be challenged and they need to be put into that uncomfortable situation that is basically, you know, an uncomfortable position really for anybody is something that does, uh, that highlights their weakness. Mm -hmm. And so I think if we're trying to highlight that so that it can become not, dis not necessarily a weakness, but a strength or yeah. just, or a stronger weakness then that's going to prepare them for when they do face that same weakness as they get older. Yeah. So I think it is, it's resilience training really at its, at its core. Um, but it's just as important to understand that not every kid is going to have the same sort of resilience training. Right. You're going to have to do it differently for each, each kid, you know, like one of ours, probably fairly easy for them, him to go up and speak in front of people and sing in front of people and perform. Mm -hmm. um, he probably struggles more with like humility and <laughs> sure. You know, and that's actually, a, that's an uncomfortable position for him. Yeah. Taking responsibility. Part, yeah. Right? And then mm -hmm. the other one probably really easy to be caring and passionate, but it's harder for him to maybe go up and, and mm -hmm. present something in front of a group of people or, you know, th those type of circumstances yeah. that he's going to be at the focus. Mm -hmm. So I think just understanding again, this is not, just like with anything, this is not across the board. Right. You do these ten things, and then your kid's going to have resilience. Yeah. It's going to be well, and and it, it you it's practice, right? And so we had a really a, a recent really incredible win in this area where, um, at my grandmother's funeral, two of our children were going to get up and and speak, which they did, and I know that I mean, y'all the. The feedback we got from that, it just shows you where we are in this because yeah. people just could not believe that this nine, eight, and six-year-old got up and spoke at a funeral, and they did it well. But our our eight-year-old, he gets really nervous. He doesn't right. like one-on-one -on -one attention, and we didn't even ask him to participate in speaking because we didn't want we didn't want him to feel like he had to do that because the other two were. And he actually asked if he could speak at the funeral. Mm -hmm. And it was really hard for him. And he did stumble a little bit. But I was more proud of him than the yeah, other two sure. because it was so out of his natural character to get up there and read scripture in front of a, a hundred or more people. And he did it. And he made it through. And, and it, but I think that all the little times that we've, required him to put himself in those uncomfortable positions led to him being able to say well i want to do this too yeah and not just cowering by oh this is i'm not good at this right i think that's part of it i think the other part of it is just he had two two other brothers that were going to do it and he's yeah. like i don't 
I don't want to be seen as that I can't do it. Sure. So we, we have some built-in, uh, <laughs> I don't even know what... Well, when your kids are all 18 months apart, you know, it all just kind of goes that right. way. So. Some built-in natural challenges. Yeah, built-in. But those things can be good, too. They challenge each other, mm -hmm. right? So, okay, and then... Um, number three kind of goes along with all this too. I just lost my train of thought though. Oh, kind of goes with this, with the making uncomfortable is on the flip side of this, that succinct, specific boundaries that you hold fast to are really good for our kids. And it can be so hard these days because we're so busy. We have so many things going on. We're distracted as parents a lot of the time to just kind of let things go and say, oh, we said that this was the boundary, but like, oh, I guess I'll let you squeak by it this time. But with cert with each child with specific things, there are boundaries that we have to hold fast to and it can feel uncomfortable and they call us, they say that we're mean and they say that nobody else has this rule, you know, all the things that they say. But it's so good for them because they know what the boundaries are. And then when the boundaries move, as they become older and can take on more responsibility and more privilege, then they really value that. And the idea being that they respect the boundaries because they know that you're serious about them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, boundaries are so, so important. And this is... Going back to biblical principles, this is definitely a biblical principle is that there needs to be boundaries throughout life. So this is not just a this is not just for kids, this is for adults as well. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times kids that don't have boundaries, they grow up to adults that don't think they have boundaries. It's mm -hmm. just, it's the same the same problem. So, you know, without boundaries, you know, there's there's a saying that says, you know, freedom is not just doing whatever you want. That's that's actually not freedom. That's that's bondage. Mhm. Mm uh, and that's that actually is really damaging to just think like you can just go and do whatever you want to do and that's going to lead you to this enlightenment and this freedom that actually is probably one of the worst things you could do. Mm. But that's what a lot of times adults tend to think if they don't have this boundaries in place and they have this kind of concept of boundaries actually leads to freedom. Then they're going to just try to pursue whatever they can and try to gain whatever they can and in order to have this this mindset that I can go and do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it, and that's going to that's going to lead me to ha freedom and happiness, mm -hmm. but it doesn't. Right. That actually probably leads to more despair and discouragement than anything else because they now can do whatever they want to do, but they're probably you know sadder and more miserable than than they ever have been. Yeah. So yeah, the concept here is that with kids there has to be some boundaries, and because they have to grow up with the idea that boundaries again is actually good for them, and as an adult it's good for you as well. And so, and having them clear and concise is really where is where it's hard because there's so many things that could use boundaries, mm -hmm. and it's hard to define every single boundary in every single circumstance. But the, I think the big principle is that they have to understand that there is a boundary maker. Mm -hmm. Right now, that's us. We right. are the boundary maker for our kids. So we say this is as far as you can go. This is as much as you can do. Beyond that is beyond the boundary, and there's consequences for that. So then when they grow up and they can hopefully have the concept that there still is a boundary maker, it's not themselves, mm -hmm. it's not their spouse, it's that this is, God gives us certain boundaries, and they can live in the freedom of those boundaries, where that actually is the, the most, that is the best form of freedom when you're living in those boundaries, and that's where you, I think things thrive, marriages thrive, kids thrive, life 
I think you thrive in life better when you live in when you live in these in the boundaries set by God. So, because I, I think that's the the thing we need to be try to present to our kids is that we are trying to, in some ways, fill the role of God for them until they can understand the concept mm-hmm. of who He is and why it's important to follow Him. Sure. And so, setting these boundaries is part of that. Mm-hmm. And then someday transferring that, like you said, the boundary maker is no longer me. Mm-hmm. But if you, and we talk about this a lot, right now we are the authority so that someday you understand how much authority matters and how much it's good for you and that you will choose to place yourself under God's authority. Yeah. And we talk about that when they're really little because it's something they need to be reminded of consistently for right. sure. I mean, that's just a good mental exercise to, to think about too is that, you know, when you when you were growing up, would it have been best to be able to go do whatever you want with no boundaries? Mm-hmm. Of course the answer is no. That would have been that would have been terrible. And the the same thing should apply for when we're adults. Right. Is that is it best for us to go and do whatever we want to do? And the answer for that is obviously no. But then, if you can come to that conclusion, then the, then the obvious next question is, is well, why? Mm-hmm. And who sets the boundaries? Yeah. Because you have to rely on something beyond yourself to set those boundaries. Otherwise, like I said, you're, you're basically just doing whatever you want to do. Right. If you're setting your own boundaries, so you're just kind of saying, well, I'm okay with, with doing it up to here, and then right. nothing beyond that. So that's just setting your own boundaries. And arguably, there's a lot of fulfillment that comes from acknowledging the boundary and and the discipline that comes with living within it mm-hmm. that also and that creates that true feeling of real freedom is recognizing these boundaries are good for me mm-hmm. and I have so much freedom within them they're not restricting but they're life giving yeah for sure All right. Well, we want to hear your unpopular parenting postures. So feel free to message us here or on social media. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple or anywhere, please do leave us a review, leave us your comments, and we will catch up with you next time. Thanks for joining us.